so I missed all those. Were they good? <laughs> that was an experience of what we're going to talk about today as we think about creation and wonder, and thank you for participating in putting that together. Today is Palm Sunday, as we've experienced with the reading of the Palm Sunday story and the palm branches, but we'll be talking about spiritual disciplines and particularly creation and wonder, and I always like to try and tie all the different things that are part of a service together, so my best piece is, this is from the Luke version of the Palm Sunday story, where Jesus says, I tell you, if these people kept quiet, the very stones will cry out. And so we're going to look at things like creation, things like stones crying out and presenting God today. So in Psalm 19, we're basically seeing that the sky is talking, right? And um, the more I learn about how Western we think, how, how we think very logically and orderly, the more I'm aware um, that we need also to expand our understanding if we're going to really understand things like psalms, which of course are poetry, they're heart language, they're Eastern, they're all kinds of things that some of us don't naturally work with. So to understand that the sky is talking, we all would say maybe if there was thunder, yeah, that sort of sounds like the sky talking. But the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day, every day. They pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. And our challenge, of course, is we live down here in the light belt, right, where you have enough light pollution, as some people would call it, that you can seldom see stars really clearly. But I hope enough of you have had an experience like I did. I once went on a canoe trip, um, fathers and sons. My son wasn't the right age, so I rented a son. You can rent sons, did you know that? Borrowed, just borrowed. Um, and it's a beautiful, clear night, and probably about 9 o'clock, we went and lied on our backs on the rock and stared at the sky and just... The boys are mesmerized. You know, there's nothing, not much anyways, moving up there. And yet they stayed probably for a half hour, 45 minutes, real young boys, by the way, right? Ants in your pants level boys. And they just were mesmerized by the power of that speech that they saw. And they talked and they learned and we connected with that. So if the sky is talking, we want to ask, well, how does the sky speech speak? Because the psalmist himself says they have no speech, there's no words, not like he needed to tell us this, there's no sound heard from them, and yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And I think that that mystery of that dynamic is actually what this entire psalm is about, what this entire message is about, that without words, there's an incredible story being told, right? And maybe you can picture it this way, maybe this helps, it helps for me. When you talk with a person, you're always told, as you're listening to a person, actually, more importantly, you're told to watch for body language, right? There's also sky language, there's world language, there's creation language, and really, you have to learn how to pay attention to that, right? Um, no, I'm not going to tell that story. It doesn't make somebody look good, so never mind. See, I do have a filter. Image and imagination. So this is how the sky talks. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. So I got to admit right off the bat, I am not a poetic person, not really a visualization person. So this psalm, until I actually had to study it and really think about what it says, this part was actually unhelpful for me. Just give it to me straight in English. That's how I kind of function. So maybe for you as well, you actually need to see that not only does creation speak with words, 
words speak with creative pictures, right? It goes both ways. So heaven, in the, in the Jewish mind, is actually, it's a dome, right? And here the psalm says, no, it's actually a tent. Consider the heavens a tent. And every morning there's this bridegroom that comes out of his chamber, and then I have to pause there. So picture you're at a wedding, a recent wedding that you've been to. Who is it that we're waiting to come? Who are we waiting to come out? The bride, right? Just pointing out here that the biblical understanding and experience of weddings is completely different from ours. Just want to point that piece out. It's a bridegroom coming out of his chamber because at this wedding, it's the bridegroom who's actually the main guy. I don't know if you guys want to go back to that or not. I'm not interested, but okay, there it is. It's a bridegroom coming out of his chamber because this is his day, and you can imagine, and, and for the guys, when they're getting together, the, the guy coming out, the bridegroom coming out, is this moment of saying, we are here to celebrate you. You've been, you, you're dressed up, you're prepared, you're excited, right? And this is a moment when we want to watch you, and if you've ever seen a sunrise, I hope you've at least once in a while seen a sunrise. It's like the beginning of something new that you want to celebrate. It's again every day, this brand new day that God has given us to say, surprise, who knows what's going to happen. I've got this. Follow along and see. You know it's going to go across the sky like that and land over there, but you have no idea what's going to take place underneath that warming sun along the way. It's like a champion rejoicing to run his course. So if you've been at a major sports event, you've probably seen at the beginning, they're going to announce... And today I should really use this one. Number 34, Austin Matthews. And everyone cheers, right? He comes out and everybody looks at him, right? That's the kind of moment that this word picture is giving us, that every day that starts is like our hero, whoever that might be, rising from where they're coming from, and we're expecting something's going to happen there because God has given that to us. That's the picture that we're called to appreciate and use our imagination to see. Apparently, I put that slide in twice. And for the left-brained, that's people like me who are more logical than image-oriented, the psalmist actually explains it for us. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So if you couldn't follow the poetry, he does a nice job of explaining to you. He's talking about the sun going across the sky. Hope you didn't miss that. Psalmists have this joke in there, too, once in a while. So what is... What is this guy saying? And for that, we do need to go to a more left-brain person, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. This is Romans 1, verse 20, where he says, Since the creation of the world, so always, God's invisible qualities, the things God is invisible, so the realities of who God is, his eternal power, his divine nature, and those are, right, those are just general, there's hundreds of them. They've been clearly seen. So always you can see God, and he's understood from creation, from what's been made, so that people are without excuse. And this is, I think, a pretty easy point to make. Anybody who looks at this world and doesn't marvel isn't fully alive. Anybody who can study this world, God's creation, can look and to look uh, through a telescope to the sky or through a microscope at a cell and not be amazed. Anybody who studied how life sort of comes about. So I had a, a chiropractor who um, was not a follower of Christ, not a Bible reader, 
And I was talking, um, I was talking with him about how much we know about how the brain works and so on, and I thought, you know, maybe 40%, and he went with 20%. And here's a person, as a chiropractor, he's more interested in, and involved with the body, and he says, I don't think we even know 40% about how the actual body works. My brother's a, a um, orthopedic surgeon, a bone doctor, and I don't know much about it, but I know the one thing about bones is it's pretty obvious that, you know, it's obvious when it's broken, it's obvious when it hurts, and it's pretty obvious how to put it back together, right? You need it to be straight and to function. And when he first finished all of his studies where he knows more about bones than most people in the world, his biggest um, pain was he couldn't help everybody. There's all kinds of circumstances he could do nothing about because he didn't understand what to do in that circumstance. Who we are as human beings, how we function in this world, how all kinds of things work in this world are so wonderfully far beyond us that if you're not going... There's got to be someone out there, in here, around here, who put this thing together because it's way beyond us. You're just not thinking. Now, don't use that as your evangelism pitch. You're just not thinking. That's not really helpful. But it's worth thinking about when you talk to anybody, particularly if they don't already know and follow God and Jesus and think about these things, use some questions about creation once in a while. Right? Marvel with them, and, and they may have different ways of looking at it and accept that, but this is, this is a great way to get into a conversation with almost anybody about, it seems to me that there must be something bigger than us going on here, right? Um, and yes, I am aware of the Big Bang Theory, but I think this one's way better. The Belgic Confession. We have three Reformed creeds, by the way, that we follow. One is the Heidelberg Catechism, which we are mostly aware of. Another one is the Canons of Dort, which is rather difficult. And then in between is this Belgian Confession written by Guido de Bray. And probably the most well-used um, paragraph of it is number two, this one. The means by which we know God. It's actually in the report we're using as we read for our um, challenging conversations. They talk about this. The means by which we know God. We know him by two means, it says. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes, yes, like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. And then they quote Romans 1.20, right? There's two ways we know God, and you're going to see, because I'll show you the other way in a second, that they are they're really held up equally, right? Creation doesn't lie to us. Creation is one of God's books, it's one of the things that he uses to tell us exactly what's going on in this world. And you probably recognize that that becomes sometimes problematic for us. Okay, I'm going to give away, spoiler alert, the other one is the Bible. I know you knew that. So when we have our beautiful creation and we're practicing the discipline of wondering at its amazing revelation of God and you have the Bible, whether you can see it or not, they agree. Right? And we've had this fun challenge throughout history, right? Probably the easiest one because you're all going to agree with me. Anyone here think the earth is still flat? That's still a possibility. There are flat earth people, so never mind. Don't put up your hand if you do believe that. Before, people like Columbus, who had this sneaky suspicion that the world might be around because science, watching boats go out in the distance and then disappear without sinking right below the horizon, thought, we could maybe go around this thing. And so eventually we figured out, you can actually 
go around this thing in a boat or in an airplane now. But before that, the Bible told us we thought. I'm sure somebody stood on a platform just like this in a much nicer suit than mine and preached with absolute authority. Clearly, since the Bible talks about the four corners of the earth, it's flat. No arguments there. It's the Bible that says so. And now, I would never say that, and most of you would never say that, right? Because we didn't know yet. And that's the hard thing about this interesting journey we're on. Our world and our experience of it and all the people that we see and all the things that we go through all help us interact with what is the Bible telling us. Those two things go hand in hand. There's two books, and they both agree we just might not know that. Excuse me, we just might not know that yet. And then this psalm takes a real hard turn. And I guess we have to figure out why. Because if you're reading through something and suddenly it comes into a completely different mode, you probably need to pay attention. So it's this beautiful image of of the bridegroom and and the sun rising and explains that. And then it starts into this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are such and such, blah, 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 blah. And the precepts of the Lord and the commands of the Lord and then the fear of the Lord and then the decree of the Lord... It's this rhythmic expression of truths that have no images to them whatsoever. They're ideas. You know, I thought we were talking about creation here. What happened to the images? And there's six of them. Anyone know where six is in the Bible? First time? I'm going with I heard days of creation. Thank you. Yes, days of creation. It's my first thought. And I've been learning that numbers in the Bible are way more important than they are in in our world. And so we should probably pay attention to this. And so let's read the rest of the psalm wondering, wonder what's going on with that. Why would they switch gears, give us these six different things that sound exactly like Psalm 119, by the way. Psalm 119 is 23 times eight statements looking exactly like this. That's why you love it as the longest psalm it's also the most boring psalm to read. It's incredibly repetitive, right? It's not bad, it's just repetitive. Okay, carrying on. Word images. So now we're doing words and images because the psalmist probably realized what I just said is, wait a minute, I'm talking about creation and I just said some very idea-oriented things. So now he takes those exact words and he makes word images out of them. And again, we're seeing this mix, creation, creativity, and word are not separate things, right? Language is used for creativity. There's not creation and word. There's creative word and words in creation. That's what the Psalms is trying to tell us. It says these words, these precepts, these laws, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. He goes straight back to nature because how do we understand words? Through images and creative ideas and nature. And then the second part of Belgian Confession 2, the other means by which we know God. We know him by two means. We heard that already. The second one is he makes himself known to us more openly by his holy and divine word. More openly. Because words tend to put things a little bit clearer for us. But I just want to point out again, it might be more openly. It's probably the easiest way to figure out who God is is by reading his word. But who was it's always a funny question because only Christians would ask that. Who was the Word? Right? Jesus was actually the Word because the Bible points to Jesus. 
And Jesus is the word made flesh, the Bible tells us. He was an image of God. He was someone who we could see um, living out what the word was actually talking about. He took it and put it into form. And again, it's that word taking on flesh. It's that creation having explanation and giving us um, images that we need to understand and are able to understand because they connect with our life and experience. There's a real delay on this thing. There we go. Oh, no. Thank you. <laughs> the mystery of knowing. So by these words, then, which are sweeter than honey, more pure than gold, by them your servant, that's us, we are warned. When you, when you bump into truth, right, and I don't just mean ideas that we know are true, so two plus two is, equals four is true, but when you bump into truth that grabs your heart and your attention, right, when, you probably know this, right, when, you, when you're in a conversation, when someone says something that, that, captures either your imagination you go wow that's gonna that's gonna change the way i think or or convicts you where you go no oh man i've been wrong about that i, I gotta confess that i gotta change that when you bump into that kind of truth you know there, there's gonna be a reward in living that way the psalmist also wants to point out for all the beautiful images of creation for all the amazing words of scripture there's this problem it's called me but who can discern their own errors and I started thinking about that, and I thought, well, I know when I've been speeding. I know when I've been mean. I know when I do things wrong. And I thought, oh, this is about those other things, not the obvious things we're challenged with. This is about the things, for my, so in my life, I've taken a whole bunch of different um, personality profiles with staff teams and so on. And every once in a while, I read one, and it tells me people like you, me, are likely to do this poorly. And I go, I do not. And then I watch myself for a week and I go, I do so. We all need people in our lives who are willing to say, you know, Eric, when you talk like that, people don't think that they can participate in the conversation. And I think they can so. But no, they cannot. So for all the truth we have in creation and in the Bible, the Bible again wants to tell us this is a relationship thing. If you don't spend time allowing others to wonder with you about who you are and how you function, you might actually miss some of the very things God just simply wants to tell you because the next line is, forgive my hidden faults. Forgive those things. And when you're asking for forgiveness for something, you're saying, point them out, allow me to work on those and help me move forward in that journey. And then the seventh day, at least I think this is the seventh day, we had those six words for word, and on the seventh day is when the head and the heart are resting in the Redeemer. The psalm ends, may these words of my mouth, the heady stuff, and this meditation of my heart, the passion stuff, may they be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. So I believe, anyways, that the reason those six words are there right in the middle is to take that word of truth, that bedrock kind of truth of who God is and how things work and following his truth, and allow them 
to penetrate our hearts by resting, by taking a Sabbath, by taking a time where we just allow the disciplines of following Jesus to enter into us, not only so that we know them and can say them, but so that they shape the very person that we are. And so this is actually a spiritual discipline psalm, let me say, because it says, here's the truth, but what you need to do is to take some time to make it a discipline, to pay attention, and to allow it to shape the way you live. So I'm going to give you some concrete ideas about how we might do this discipline. How does this work? First is pay attention. Pay attention. Have you ever done this? Gone down a road that you've driven down maybe all your life and then suddenly looked and thought, was that house always there? Was that tree there before? Right? It is amazing how much you can miss. It's amazing how much I can miss. Maybe you see things better than you do, than I do. Have you ever seen a Kreen Bosch picture and thought to yourself, I've seen that scene before. Why didn't it look like that? Paying attention, my mind, is taking a photographer's view of the world where you're looking at what is it about this? How does this connect? How does this make a difference? How does this, how's the beauty in there that I need to capture? And then stop and stare. I, I was on a silent retreat once, a guided one, and the person leading it told us to just take some time off by ourselves. Um, and I went and sat on a rock by a stream, and it was very beautiful. And I looked down on the ground in front of me, and it was your average late April, two square meters of grass and weeds. And I'm staring at it. And suddenly I realized, you know, there's probably 50 different plants down there if I take the time to stare at it. And I thought, hey, there's something moving. There's, there's bugs down there. And there's all kinds of things going on there, which I would never notice on my normal daily walk. Um, I don't know about you, but... My method of walking in the world is, I've been here before, I'm going to go somewhere else, right? So if I've been on one part of the Bruce Trail, I'm going to go find a different part of the Bruce Trail, because I've done that before, because I think I've been there. But you know, right, if you go on the Bruce Trail, pick a spot in April, and then you go in May, and then you go in June, then you go in whatever that next month is. Work with me here. Thank you. You are going to see a different place. And you're going to have a different experience. In fact, you're a different person going there. And that if we don't pause and pay attention and stop and stare and allow these things, we're going to miss some of the things that God wants to tell us. And again, you notice these are Sabbath-type things. These are discipline-type things where we allow God to speak because we've actually stopped and listened and looked. And then ask curiosity questions because, you know, one of the greatest creations God has for you to pay attention to and to stop and stare at is your fellow humans all around you. Don't stare too awkwardly, of course, but watch people, watch the people that you're with and wonder and ask curiosity questions like, why does that person function that way when that's not how I would naturally function? And be amazed at the amazing people God has sent into your world. And then finally apply all of these pausing things and looking things and wondering things to creation and to the word because as psalm 19 seems to teach us the word is creative and the creation is the word and those two things our minds and our hearts our experiences and truths are all kind of intermingled together and we need to continue to wonder what is god saying to me about himself through his word many of us have said you know 
I may have read the whole Bible before, but every once in a while I'm reading a passage and I go, wow, that's like brand new. I need to pay attention to that. This is a new experience because I'm in a new time in my life and there's a new question, and now God is speaking to me yet again. Creation and wonder, that discipline, is about taking the time to wonder, what in the world is God up to? Literally, what in this world is God up to? And how can I see that and benefit from that and wonder at that and recognize again that his invisible qualities, the fact that he is way beyond me, is written all over the people, the beauty, and the life all around us. May you find time and may you receive the gift of seeing God in his world and all its beauty. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this chance to see you in pictures, in people, in songs, in words, and in your word. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would cause all of us to find pause in our lives, in your world, to see and receive and marvel that you have done amazing things. And so we just pray for eyes to see again and again what you're saying to us and then to bow down and worship. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.